1: wonder if we can pet him. Hi, boy. Can we touch him? No, don't. Help me! Help! Help! Good morning, good morning. Professor Ward Scott here in the Manly Warthog Man Cave. And uh, we are, of course, looking forward to it warming up here. We'll get into that a little bit more at the bottom of the hour. Uh, we are in the... Nolan Law Studio, which is the official only official law partner of the Florida Gators, and we're protected by crime prevention 24-7, 365. And as you've come to be uh, very, very familiar with, I'm sure, if you listen to us on the Word Scott Files and Watch, and you set your clocks for Wednesday, or our guest here each Wednesday and every Wednesday, no matter where he is in the world, and that would produce, of course, our good buddy Ted Yoho, who right now, we were talking about it before we came on live, the miracles of the Internet, which travels at the speed of light. Uh, Ted is now in Tokyo, Japan, as we speak, at 10 o'clock at night. Is so, amazing? Um, it is amazing, and the picture is as clear as can be, and uh, it's as if he were right here in the room with us. So um, hang on. We're going to hear a perspective from uh, across the Pacific, Uh, international uh, perspective about, you know, our culture, I'm sure, and the other cultures and uh, all the different players and quote, unquote, foreign affairs. And uh, Ted is um, really um, a a reliable guy. And, you know, this man, when he gives his word, he's there. We communicated by text a couple of times and uh, and, uh, that was, that was amazing. I, I didn't know exactly what the time was. I had to, go and find out from Alexa <laughs> <laughs> what the difference was, so I figured sooner or later you'd get the text, but man, it's great yeah. to see you. and good evening to you, uh, good morning you. to us. So, man, how's your trip?
0: Oh, it's been awesome. I had to go to that world clock, you know, that shows the world and pinpoint where Tokyo and pin, pinpoint where Gainesville is, and uh, it, the technology is amazing. Like you said, I'm here in Tokyo at 10 o'clock at night. You're in um, in the studio in Gainesville. And it's like we're sitting across the desk from each other. So it's really amazing. And uh, it's been a great trip so far. And uh, for the people that have never been to Japan or Tokyo, or, and we go to Kyoto on uh, Saturday and fly out back home on Monday. It's just an amazing culture. And the people are awesome. I mean, just friendly, friendly people.
1: Well, uh, what have you been doing? We, we, we sure are curious as to uh – where you've been, what you've seen. You know, this before Ted came on the air, he talked about having been in an electronics store and just a, a, a kind of a pedestrian observation here for us, saw the biggest television he's ever seen.
0: I swear that had to be 90 inches. And just, <laughs> I mean, it was like you're sitting in the TV, it was so clear, it was amazing.
1: And so they were broadcasting, you say a baseball game?
0: Yeah, that baseball game, um, the World Series between different countries, so it was Japan and the Miami team. And it was held in Miami, and, of course, Japan won. And in this electronics store, I'm like, man, look at all the business people in here. And then they had the game on it. And so they were watching it, and they are rooting. Of course, when it, when the Japanese won, they uh, the whole place just erupted in applause and laughter and high-fiving. And they were very excited about it, as they should be.
1: <laughs> I'm sure. Well, you know, a lot's been going on while you were away. I'm sure you've been kind of at one yeah. year, tuned to the ground here. The so-called indictment, which has not yet taken place, uh, but it sure caused a reaction, a solid reaction from your former buddies in the Congress. Yeah. They have really taken over Trump's back, you know,
0: they sure have. And I think the, the media, Well, the Democratic Party and the D.A. up in New York, I think they overstepped it and they thought they were going to shame Trump and embarrass him and bring him in handcuffs. Trump, to his credit, you know, was out there saying they're going to arrest me. I'm going to be handcuffed. I'm going to have a mug shot. I I know he was waiting to have his hands behind (laughs) that picture of a geriatric person that was president. And this is the way the left's treating him. And as Elon Musk said, if they do that, he'll win in a landslide. And I think they took that to heart. And they backed off a lot on that. And uh, You know, I think it was smart for them to do that. They don't need to put the nation through something about Stormy Daniels that happened a long time ago. Let let that happen. Let that be dealt with the way it's supposed to be and it already has been dealt with.
1: Well, you know, the thing I always remember about Gerald Ford, Ted, is no. when he took over yeah. – the first thing he did was pardon Nixon.
0: He sure did.
1: And he said, the reason I'm doing this is we don't need to put the country through any more of this.
0: He, well, that things.
1: case is closed. But that's not what the doggone Democrats are doing. No. They are really the ones driving the division and driving and it to, and exploit, to exploit the trust <laughs> of the American people. Yeah. And so... You got them, and you got the media... You got people
0: like TikTok, anybody that can use the situation to drive a wedge in this country. They're doing it. And it's to divide us. And it's, you know, I'm glad, and I hope uh, the DA of New York drops this and just let it go away. And let's focus on those things that really matter to this country's survival.
1: You know, if Biden were really smart, and of course, I don't think he is, but he's pretty clever. He hasn't been around D.C. for nothing. He's got a lot of political connections and instincts. He would come on. I could you know, he, he would, could, could come on the TV and say. If he's indicted, I'm going to pardon him. And something. Yeah, he can do that. And I guarantee you that would swing the pendulum back for Biden. It would go over to Trump now because they, he's oh. the, they're making Trump into a Robin Hood. And the people are always going to champion the underdog. That's how Martin sure. Luther King did his social change. He told his people to be passive resistant. He right. picked up Gandhi. He said when the aggressive dominant person uh, has you down, don't fight back because people champion, it's human instinct, the underdog. Right. So that's how he made social change. Um, now we've made Trump into, of all things, a victim of an unfair a prosecutorial really misconduct. No, and,
0: I agree with that. I think that's very wise. And Gandhi was smart about how to, I, mean, I don't want to say manipulate, but take advantage or use the situation to further your cause. And Martin Luther King was that way. And of course, John Lewis, who I got to serve with, um, is in fact, I got a movie about him and it's called Good Trouble. And he talked about. That kind of resistance without violence, you know, is is causing good trouble. And you know, the the country is better off for the civil rights movement that we went through. Unfortunately, we have the Democrats and the the Democratic Party and the liberal progressives, the Marxist party, I should say. They want to take us back into that and tell us, tell everybody how racist America is, and we are such a better country than we were. Uh, and we'll keep getting better if we get rid of these knotheads that are in there on the Democrat side, some of the Republicans.
1: Well, the other thing I might uh, uh, suggest is that they've managed to make uh, our uh, Speaker of the House look strong as well. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they, he's imagine been I imagine he's come out and taken this position and firmly and, and uh, people are behind him. And, and, and rightly so.
0: Said- And I hope Kevin can continue that, you know, because that's really what he needs to be able to be an effective leader is to get the buy-in from the party. You know, he wasn't my choice. Uh, I wouldn't have voted for him. I don't think even at the end, but he is the speaker. And so all members need to rally behind him to help him become the best speaker he can for the, for the, for America and the country.
1: And there's another thing I've always learned from some guys who've been in these positions where, They assumed uh, sometimes they didn't seek it, but because of circumstances, a very important position. And they say that the good guys rise to the occasion of sitting in the chair. Uh, And I've always remembered that, you know, the the guy might not have shown out, as we say before. But when he sits down in that chair and feels that awesome responsibility, one of two things happens. Either corrupts it which is what I would think Biden has done, he's corrupted it, or he rises to the challenge of it right. and, and really maximizes his potential. And what we've been missing in the culture is the latter. We haven't been able you're to right, find the right. guy or the lady. You know, right. Margaret Thatcher, I think I shared with you, I met her one time. right? And quite by accident, marvelous down-to-earth person, very conversational, but you could sense immediately that this woman was in charge. Mm-hmm. And this woman was greatly respected. She could make a decision. Uh, she was involved, and she was not the least bit angry or no chip on her shoulder. She was just Margaret Thatcher. And I always will remember the moment of, of she stepping out of that home, which she'd been in on a tour, there and I was on the top me. step waiting to go in. You remember that story, huh? I do. was a, a great story. First person she looked at was me. She didn't know I was going to be standing there, which was amazing uh, because the security really wasn't overhyped, you know. Yeah. And uh, it was a really neat moment. That that was was a
0: better time time. in America, for
1: sure. Oh, yeah. That was a lot of fun then. And uh, getting to meet her quite by circumstance was. But even in in her presence, you could also understand this, I think, Ted. In her presence, she would bring the best out in you if you were around her.
0: Oh, Is that right? Um,
1: well, yeah, I think if she, if you worked for her or you were in the you know, and if you were one of her, you wouldn't want to rise to her level. You wouldn't want to rise to her standards. You know what I'm saying? Right. And that's that's what we're missing now. We're missing it at school boards. Uh, uh, you know, we've got it with the governor because the governor of Florida has got all the legislature rising to his standards, if you will. Um, but that's a rare moment. I haven't seen much of that, you know. We certainly don't have it in the D.A. in uh, Manhattan. <laughs> wow. What have you
0: been learning from that? State, you don't. And some of the places in Florida, you don't. Yeah. Um, hopefully we can get rid of those.
1: What have you been, um, uh, being the professor, I'll say, what have you been learning on your trip?
0: <laughs> I tell you what, it, it's been an amazing trip. You know, I got invited to speak uh, to different entities over here and, uh, You know, from businesses to former members of their uh, legislative bodies to think tanks. And it's all pretty much focused on two, several things. One is Russia and Ukraine. One is Japanese-U.S. relationships. Obviously, China and how we counter that. North Korea came up a few times. South Korea came up a few times. Um, But the other topic that's come up over and over, in, in fact, every meeting, is um, American politics. Who's going to be the next president? Is it going to be Trump or is it going to be DeSantis? Is DeSantis going to run? What kind of person is he? Where is he stand on foreign policy? So it's been really interesting to engage in that. And uh, I've learned so much in this country I didn't know. I was with uh, one of our guides tonight, and they said that, do you realize in Japanese schools they don't have any custodians? So, well, who takes care of the school? The students do. Wow. At the end of the day, they have wow. to clean their room. They have to clean the bathrooms. There are no custodians. They even use the students to feed the other students. So there's a, they'll have them in teams. And so they bring the food in. They serve the food. They take the food back and clean up the mess. The students are doing this. And I'm like, what a great concept. No can't you think we could ever get that to happen in America? You know, the, the, the student, the teachers union would be up in an uproar, the parents would be in an uproar, but talk about teaching responsibility. And the other thing, I've never seen a city so clean other than maybe Singapore. You can't find any trash on the floor. You don't see any rats or any birds running around. And um, there's no garbage receptacles anywhere. And I said, well, how come? How come there's no garbage receptacles? They said because you're responsible for your own trash. If you bring it out, you take it away. And I'm like, golly, that's amazing. No graffiti. You can't smell pot anywhere. They said if you if you're caught smoking pot, you get in a lot of trouble. And so you just don't have that. You know, you walk down any street in America, and it's it's the the scent of the wheat You know that you smell, and you just see our culture declining. This one is very regimented, very disciplined, and you can tell by the standard of living they have here.
1: <clears throat> well, I was sharing with you the story of my father in World War II. Yeah. The Japanese warrior was his foe and for whom he had enormous respect. He said that the Japanese culture was tremendously disciplined, very focused, tremendous, um, very, very patriotic. And it was an incredible battle. <clears throat> uh, he he really respected. He actually, in a way, you know, our, our military efforts were awful, oftentimes bungled or um, political sure. intrusion. Let's face it, you know, uh, and we certainly saw that all through the Vietnam quote unquote war, political intrusion, yeah. lack of focus and discipline on the part of a lot of the politicians running it. You didn't see that with the Japanese people. And uh, you know, we just had a, a, my, my, I was, I was uh, reminded just a, a couple of days ago that here locally, Ted, we had a Brain Bowl competition at the high school. Mm-hmm. And uh, the names, of course, were all uh, Asian.
0: Asian,
1: yeah. Or Indian. Right. <clears throat> Asian or Indian. We didn't have any Brain Bowl students on the Brain Bowl. Now, when I was at Santa Fe, we didn't have any. We could not get the American student involved in a academic brain bowl. Now he was all soaked up with athletic bowls, but not academic bowls. And to echo what you're saying, it's been years since I've been there. But when I was in Europe and walking around the street one summer, I took the doms, uh, the the rails and, and stepped in the dom squares and all that, which, Mm Youth hostels, I highly recommend at some point children or young growing, you know, they do that. I guess it's still available and mix sure. and mingle with the people. But I would talk to European students, Ted. They knew more about American literature right. than our students did. And they read it without having to be uh, ordered to read it because they, they were curious about this country. And I came away from my vantage point across the oceans thinking that, God, we're immature. We're so materialistic. We're so um, hedonistic. Uh, Our cerns are so amateurish and so infantile. It's a wonder we get anything done. Do the Japanese sort of have a, well, I wouldn't say contempt, They obviously know we're a big power and all that, and they suffered, lost our hands. But for them to be that involved with the minutiae of our political system when our own people aren't, wow.
0: Well, you get what you focus on. And in our school, if you go back, probably starting in the 60s with the drug revolution, the anti-establishment culture. and and then it progressed to where everybody gets a trophy and you don't want to give F's and you don't want to tell people they're not owning up to their ability and and you give excuse after excuse after excuse and then you start making victims out of people you get a slide of, econ- uh, of, of society and we're seeing that but over here like I said the students clean the school it's their school, it's your responsibility and you know I was walking home from my last meeting. We had a dinner, a very nice dinner. We're talking about foreign policy, and they're they're in the middle of the cherry bloom season, you know, cherry blossom season. And so, what they do is they take blankets and they lay under the trees, and they you know they might drink beer or so, whatever. But when they were leaving, everybody had a bag of garments. They were taking it with them. They didn't leave it there. They picked it up and took them away. And it's just a different culture. It's responsibility. It's respect for where you were. It's not your property. So treat it accordingly. And we sure have lost that in our country, not everywhere. I mean, there's places, and I see it more in rural areas. Um, You know, you get around some of your municipalities and the city leagues, and, you know, your coaches and the parents are really involved, and it makes a difference. And the outcomes are different. But if you're not putting that input in, you're not going to get that input out um and you get what you sow you know you 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 reap what you you sow uh and uh i think we need to change the seeds we're we're planning and change direction because we're going down in our math we're going down in our reading we're going down in arithmetic and our science and all those these other countries are progressing and um you know where we're at today is the, the things we're teaching today is gonna to determine where we're at 20 years from now. And some people don't think that's a very good outcome for America.
1: We're talking with Ted Yoho, if you're just tuning in, and Ted is in Tokyo. Tokyo. At 10 o'clock at night, and we're here, well, at 920, about the same time, but he's a day behind us, if you will. I'm ahead a- of you. day ahead of us, day ahead of I us.
0: I can tell you how the stock market performed.
1: Yeah. (laughs) And we're having a wonderful experience here. If you marvel at technology, we are obviously communicating at the speed of light, which is what the Internet's all about. And uh, Ted, do you remember? I do. I didn't ever understand it. But real early in the presentation of the Internet, there was on television a young female with a strange kind of hat on with a cape that stepped out of the darkness. I don't know if you recall this. And it was an engaging ad because it was so mysterious and um, wasn't defined very clearly as to what she was doing. And the only thing she said is, it's coming. And uh, then she'd step back into the darkness. Well,
0: You sure that wasn't Al Gore talking about his dad inventing
1: the internet? (laughs) Oh, my golly. But, but, you know, one night I was... uh, having an adult beverage, uh, and it turns out at one of my former students who was having one next to me, who was then at the uh, university working in this mysterious world, I relayed this story to him. And he said to me, Lord, can you imagine the globe covered by a spider web of light? And that's the best description I think I've ever heard of the Internet. It is a yeah. globe covered by a spider web of light. And he said, that's how we're going to be communicating. Well, I thought maybe he and I both had had one too many adult beverages, so (laughs) I couldn't catch up with what he was talking about.
0: Well, welcome to the future.
1: Welcome to the future. So if you're just tuning in here, we're speaking with Ted Yoho from Tokyo, Japan. Um, We've got some questions coming in here, Ted, about what what are you picking up about uh, we mentioned them at the highlight at the beginning of the show. What do they think of this Russia-China relationship?
0: <laughs> it scares them. Um, uh, we're, in, we're in Tokyo, Japan. Um, prime Minister Kashida is the new prime minister, and he went to Ukraine today, or this week. He went to Ukraine and, and met with President Zelensky. He was the last of the G7. Nations to go there, of course, the G7 are the ones with the highest economies. Uh, the seven nations with the highest, and it's very uh, concerning to see Putin or Xi Jinping meet with Putin after Putin was brought up on criminal war criminal charges. And they said it feels like he has sent a very very wrong signal, and it may box him into a corner because he's he's. He's aligning himself with somebody that invaded the country illegally. There was no cause for Putin to go in there other than his ego to rebuild Mother Russia. And so with Xi Jinping siding with him, what that has done is it's made Japan, but also the other countries in this area realize that China could move on, Taiwan, and if that happens, it's going to bring Japan in there because They've got territory 60 miles from Taiwan, so obviously they're going to be in that. So that shows to them that they have to build stronger relationships, not just with us. Uh, again, Prime Minister Kashida he went to India and pledged 90, 70 or $80 billion dollars in foreign assistance between the Japanese government and private partners to do infrastructure development in India because they want India to become a stronger ally. And, um, you know, it's strengthened the relationships between South Korea and Japan. And I don't know if people re- realize the tension between those two because of the, uh, during World War II, Japan had occupied Korea. Um, they were making slaves out of the Korean men working in factories like Mitsubishi and Nissan and these other ones. And then they had the women they made into what they call comfort women. And they're basically, they're prostituting these women out. And it's it's left a big rift between these two countries. But President Yoon of South Korea made a very strong statement. He says, we have to put our past behind us and focus on what's coming at us in the future. So with Xi Jinping going to Ukraine and buddying up with Putin, has put a lot of emphasis on how we have to forge these uh, relationships and make them stronger. So it's, in essence, it's it's made it better over here for this region, the Indo-Pacific region.
1: Well, wouldn't it be wonderful if we could hear that in our racial divisions, if somebody of the people of color, that's what the new term is, I've learned, would just say publicly and powerfully, we need to put our past behind us and we need to unite and prepare for what's ahead of us. Instead of preaching and, of fomenting this division. I've been waiting for that leader to come. I haven't seen that leader come out of the people of color, if you will, Black Lives Matter and all that. All I hear is anger. No, no. You're not going to see that. They'd be out
0: of business if they came out. Martin, out business, Martin Luther King yeah. was going, I mean, he did such a tremendous job. And you remember the 60s and the ugliness of the racism and the, uh, the segregation we had, the color drinking fountains, and we, we went through integration. There was the race riots, the civil rights movement. We emerged a better country out of that. Now we've got these, these, these people out there, race faders, that are trying to take us back into that. And they're telling the young people, what a racist country we have. We're systemically racist. But if you compare America today to the 60s, we're light years oh, ahead. We're so much better. And, 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 it, and it's just it's an atrocity that these people are saying this stuff and they ought to be held accountable. You know, um, they need to be deported is where they need to or not deported, but sent to another country that really has racism and, and doesn't have opportunity like we have. And, uh, you know, we've got the best thing going. And even Japan, they still admire what we do here in America. They, they see a lot of faults and a lot of problems, um, but they really they really do admire what we're doing.
1: So Ted Yoho, And maybe when we get back from our bottom of the hour break in a little bit, we can elaborate a little bit on what they see as our faults and problems. Because uh, I just think uh, one of the biggest ones is our exploitation of race as an issue when we should be putting that behind us. And as Thomas Sowell said, he was one of the great black leaders. Hey, how do you get rid of racism? You stop talking about it. Yeah. But um, we just haven't been able to bring ourselves to do that. It's um it's unfortunate that. And, and the White House has exploited it. So it's. Oh, it's yeah. Been, I mean, of he's a Democrat, turned,
0: but he's a, he's a Marxist.
1: It just yeah. churned it like you can't believe. So, um, you know, we need, we need to get past it. You know, we have this discrimination, as you know, um, the Asian says anyway, against the Asian in the academic success stories. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, where we actually have tipped the scale to make it more difficult for them to get into the least elite colleges. So sure. we down the standards of the elite colleges. So that's going on at the uh, high school level. Yeah, to, it, it's incredible. So we don't have any leadership. I'm looking for the leadership in the educational world. I don't see one. Uh at the no, school board no. level, I don't see one. I'm looking for the really bright, uh, sharp person to come in at the school board level and actually talk about teaching and and education and Scholarship? I haven't heard that uh, since I've been watching. I
0: just scholarship. Yeah, I mean, I mean actually, on. scholarship versus a sports scholarship.
1: Oh my you know, golly! You know, at Santa, at Santa Fe, when we first opened that college, Ted, I'll tell the story before we go on a break. Debate was an athletic scholarship. We gave, really? yeah, yes. If you if wow. you qualified for the debate team. We gave you an academic scholarship and under the athletic uh, pot of money because it's at competition of the mind. You know, what's, what's better than competition of the mind? We give scholarships for competition of the body. Well, let's give scholarships for the competition of the mind, you know?
0: I that mean, might have, have been a spectator sport for me because I was more athletically inclined. <laughs> um, I never mastered the English language and spelling bees were spectators for me, but I, I cheered out my buddies.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, don't you remember the criticism of Gerald Ford? We just applauded him for pardoning Nixon early in the show, but he was always, you know, the joke on him was he had played center, I think, uh, on right. the Houston football team, and he'd been kicked in the head too many times. Definitely. Oh, come on. Come on, people. Oh, Surely. God. Well, we're going to take a break at the bottom of the hour. I want to give a special shout out to a great uh, friend of mine who listens to the show uh, regularly, Mr. Dennis Funkhauser, who has Funkhauser's tires on 441 at the corner of 441 and 241 in Alachua. A magnificent gentleman, a real gentleman. And believe me, if you need a tire, I'm talking about a tire, even for a wheelbarrow, uh, Mr. Funkhauser has it. Uh, He listens to the show every day and he is a, a, a great friend and, Every time I drop in there to say hello, he wants to sit down and talk about all the guests. I guarantee you right now, Ted, that Mr. Funkhauser is listening to every word we say. Isn't so, yeah,
0: uh, that right? You know, they've been there. They're an institution in Latchway. Uh, they've been there forever. I remember when I came up to this part of the of the state and Funkhauser's were there, and they've been there for a very long time.
1: Oh, absolutely. Great reputation, yeah. Great place, great place. We're going to take a break for the bottom of the hour and we'll be right back on the Ward Scott Files with Mr. Ted Yoho from Tokyo, Japan. wonder if we can pet him. Hi, boy. Can we touch him? No, thanks. Help me. Help. Help. Now for the weather brought to you by Lewis Oil. <coughs> Ward's weather report compliments of Lewis Oil. By golly. And uh, every time you pass a Chevron station, don't pass without filling up. Um, we have got an amazing phenomenon going on today. Uh, As um, I shared with you a couple of days ago, I built a fire in the fireplace. It was in the 30s. And I posted on the old Facebook that probably would be the last fire. And um, of course, you never know. I mean, uh, nature will double back on you, even though you think you can control it. You can't. And we're going right now, and Ted is in Tokyo. So right now, Ted, it's 60 degrees here outside the... Manly World Command Center. But it's going up to 84 today. Can you believe it? So get ready to get in the swimming pool. Meanwhile, the UN is still preaching that there is a climate time bomb ticking. And I saw some flashbacks of Al Gore and and his buddies there. And they were predicting it. Right now, by now, the polar ice caps would have been melted. They were saying it's about 10 years ago. So there you go. Meanwhile, there is an intense Pacific storm hammering southern and central California, and um, they can't figure that out because that's not supposed to happen. And um, uh, this severe weather is uh, going to move across the country and pound on it about 20 states. But it's just shocked California, on the epicenter of climate change belief, into reckoning that they can't even control those storms. So uh, there you are. It's a uh, It's a... <laughs> It's a moment of reckoning. I don't know how they'll explain that away, Ted. Yeah. (laughs) Well, let's talk about
0: what they'll say is, you know, that's why we've got to fix climate um, because we have all these storms that we don't know what to do. And so that's why you got to stop driving your car. It's, it's, it's a ridiculous argument. I don't buy into it. Uh, The climate's going to change. We just need to adapt and get better at using our resources. And through technology, we will wean off fossil fuels, but it's probably not going to happen in the next fifty years.
1: Well, we're talking from Ted from Tokyo, Japan, and one of the interesting conversations we hope uh, you will listen to and share, learn from now is how does Japan see our problems? What do they see our problems as as we see them, or is there a disconnect there from us and them? No,
0: they see them differently than we see them. they they see a dysfunctional government, uh, they see a divided uh, government and nation, and they see um, a lot of the social strife that gets sensationalized in the media that brings concern to them. Japan just raised their military budget spending from 1% to 2%. And Keep in mind, uh, post-World War II, Japan became a pacifist nation. They basically dismantled their military manufacturing for the most part They kept enough of a military for, um, you know, border security, you know, and uh, Coast Guard, some Navy ships uh, and humanitarian uh, efforts. They kept that and they've got a a good supply of F-35s, but it's all been in a defensive mechanism. Uh, Under Prime Minister Abe, uh, the prime minister that got assassinated last year, um, he moved to pivot to have Japan start refocusing on building a military that can not only just defend themselves, but the possibility of counterstrike capabilities. Uh, he was assassinated. Prime Minister Kishida is there now. He's carrying that on and actually stepped it up. And the interesting thing, you talked about what's the sentiment of Russia going into Ukraine since that war happened, and I think it was February a year ago, the sentiment of the Japanese people was they didn't want to build up their military prior to that. It was less than 50% that supported that. Today it's pushing 70% of the Japanese want to build up their military for self-defense. Um, there's, there's four factors. Three of them are what's going on with Russia and Ukraine. Second one is North Korea North Korea right now has 40 to 50 nuclear weapons but uh, by 2027. It's predicted they're going to have over 200.
1: That's scary.
0: To that,
1: That's scary. To that,
0: they've got ICBMs that are solid boosters, so they don't have to do the oxygen and take forever to fill them up. They can launch. Those can carry uh, nuclear warheads. They can launch from submarines. So you've got Russia, Ukraine, you've got um, uh, North Korea. Then you've got what China's doing. Uh, they're building up their military, the encroachment on Japanese airspace all through the South China Sea. So those are three factors. The fourth one is the uncertainty of the United States of America. You look at the Biden administration, they watched a spy balloon cross the United States, gathering information, and then decide to shoot it down. You've got open borders on our southwest border, They're focusing on wokeism and and ESG and all this other garbage that they're focusing on. Um, You've got our economy is at the highest uh, debt level we've ever been as a nation. So we've got all these things going on and Japan's watching that and they don't know if they can trust us to be there. If something breaks out and the telltale sign is that Xi Jinping goes into Taiwan, if we don't come to help protect Taiwan, Japan realizes that they're on their own, and that's a very scary thing because uh, you're just going to see China march on, and you know it, it's going to be ugly. And so that's where Japan stands right now, and we need a strong leader that projects strength. Um, um, you know, peace through strength—the Reagan Doctrine, or Theodore Roosevelt, walk softly but carry a big stick.
1: Well, outside the SAC bomber bases were always pieces our profession. And people would say, What's, what do you mean it's a bomber base? Yeah, you keep the order by being the alpha dog and ready to uh, let everybody know that they're not going to get out of hand and you'll deal with it right. immediately. We don't have so that. That's
0: what the discussion's been over here. More yeah. than anything else, I met with a big business group today. It's, I mean, they're a worldwide conglomerate, but they're based out of Japan. And our whole thing was... Uh, U.S. politics, what's going to happen, you know, when the election is? is If DeSantis wins, where is he going to stand on foreign policy and these things? And, um, you know, that's where their focus is because they know if America is weak and we don't treat our allies and our friends uh, properly, they become more on their own and they either have to make a decision to get closer to China or to start fending off China now. And, um, it's, so it's they've gonna had be their
1: interesting. On, they've, had their on, um, they've, had their, they've had their eye on DeSantis then,
0: huh? Oh yeah, I mean that's come up pretty much in every meeting. It's really Trump and yep.
1: DeSantis. And what, what do, they, do, how, how do they win? how do they see DeSantis? They don't know him.
0: And um, they they're asking me about him. And you know, I told them what I know about him I said he's very smart, he's very calculating, uh, I can tell you he's very strong in foreign policy. When Ron came in, one of the things he worked on was to move the embassy in Jerusalem or in Israel to Jerusalem. And um, uh, he worked with Trump to make that happen. And he knows foreign policy very well. And, you know, he's got the military background and being a, a lawyer, you know, he's just very methodical in his thinking on foreign policy. So I think that's a good thing. I think they'll see that. Uh, they, they like some of the things Trump did. But they, nobody liked his antics. I mean, nobody I've talked to. And they're yeah. not real sure they would like to see him back.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah that's, that's the issue. That, and quite frankly, the Democrats have done a pretty good job of uh, magnif- magnifying that. Sure. Um,
0: and well, and he, he does his own harm, you know, by being bombastic instead of just stay out of that kind of garbage and just focus on the
1: issues. It kind of reminds me of a tennis player who is just – I'm going to use this analogy – who is highly skilled, who starts double faulting, and then eventually throws a racket down in disgust and loses the match. And when the player was a superior player in every way except got down on him or herself, when things didn't go as it had been going, and I'm thinking yeah. of a lady who came in second in this recent tournament in Indian Wells – who should have won it, except she double faulted something like 14 times oh. and, and you know, was much the superior player. And that before that happened, was it winning handily and then just yeah. had a meltdown, and the other player exploited it. And sure, uh, Trump kind of reminds me of that. But uh, people have people love what he's done, and who wouldn't? I mean, taking on the deep state and 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 and. But you know what really threw him a curve as well, when you we look back on it, I think, I'm going to get your opinion on this, Ted, was COVID. COVID came in right there just before the election, if I remember correctly. Sure did. And that doggone thing upset the apple cart. And threw things kind of derailed him, if you will. And you remember he took ivermectin or what? Well, didn't he take something that was off the beaten path? Clorox. Lorax, right, so was that it?
0: Said <laughs> you could drink it and would get rid of the virus.
1: Oh, and I, I don't know how you'd be in the bed on ivermectin, but I can't tell you how many cattle guys called me and said, well, do you think that ivermectin can protect me against that COVID? And I said, hell, don't ask me. I'm not the vet.
0: <laughs> I can't recommend it because it's against the, the Department of Professional Regulations, but uh, I had been known to take it last week before I came over here. <laughs> every day. Uh,
1: well, we poured it on the cows the other day to get the flies off them, Ted.
0: Yeah. Carolyn <laughs> caught me scooting on the carpet and says, you better worm yourself.
1: <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> well, we're talking with Ted Yoho here. We're talking now about how the Japanese see the American Perfect. culture. Uh, and that's pretty much nail. I mean, they see us as, uh, what you say, a word I kind of don't like to use, but it's a good word, discombobulated. And and I don't know how we'll work ourselves out of it. And uh, what do they think about the American media? Have they commented at all on that, Ted?
0: Yeah, they have. I mean, they they see it as a sideshow and, you know, they see it imbalanced, uh, you know, running an agenda. I mean, we talked about that. And I didn't see that over here. Um, I'm sure they have their own form of that. It seems like every country does that has some form of free speech. You're going to have that. Uh, But I don't see the disrespect in their media towards their leaders or, uh, you know, people that come out and speak out against something. I just don't see them going after them like the American media does. I mean, our media, it's it's toxic. And, you know, they have a responsibility of getting the right news out there and getting the facts out there but also dispelling the, the stuff that's out there that's wrong. And they don't do that because you look, at your, you look at your news channels or your radio stations, you'll have four or five minutes of news or commentary. I don't want to call it news because so much of it is just garbage. But then you'll have six or seven or eight minutes of commercials. It's all about selling time. And uh, You know, uh, it was interesting, I guess, uh, uh, what's his name, Sean Hannity, uh, really came out and said the truth of how he felt about President Trump. And I'm, I, I heard that when I was over here and I haven't. Well, did followed.
1: you? I'll be Have done. You heard
0: that?
1: Yeah, I've heard that. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah,
1: yeah. No, That's I think right. I, I really fault the media at the educational level in the universities. You know, once upon a time, most journalism schools were very principled, had very good professors, uh, really taught integrity and and um, research and getting everything straight. And somehow, some way. Now, this is my opinion. So, but you know, I'm never wrong. Actually, I was wrong yesterday. Let me interject and, and take my hat off to uh, one of my uh, faithful viewers who reminded me after the show that I had the wrong poet. Um, Ted, I'll just take a moment of uh, license here, if you don't mind. Uh, I, I there was a. Sist- oh, your show. Go ahead. <laughs> but but it's a there's a, a phrase called a willing suspension of disbelief and it was used in talking about the media how they would ask you to believe something that you couldn't believe unless you just disregarded your ability to disbelieve and <laughs> you did it knowingly now you follow this and I said it was a it is a poetic term and I said it came from Blake who was a, who was a poet and after the show one of my really good Faithful fans, um, I'll keep it anonymous. Now he can text in if he wants to say something. But he contacts. He says, "You know, uh, I was an English major, and uh, wasn't that cooler?" region said that. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and by golly, I acknowledge that I was of all things, Ted. I was wrong. And
0: oh my goodness! I,
1: oh my god! That's
0: probably the first notch on your uh, bulletin yeah. board.
1: <laughs> I said, I won't let it happen again. But, uh, you know, I'm sure it will happen again. The older you get, sure. the more you can be. But I got my poets mixed up. But the term applies. That uh, sure. what we've done now with our media is all practicing a willing suspension of disbelief. Where you know it can't be true. But why the hell not write it and keep it going until somebody calls your hand on it? Sure. And that's basically what's been going on in the media with the Trump thing, everything so he came down the escalator, what we talking right. about. You know, well, it's you're
0: a- talking about how the, the journalism oh. professors taught good journalism, and they may still do that. Unfortunately, corporate America, the ones that run these news stations, they don't care about the truth. They want the sensational so that they can sell those minutes on the airtime. You know, and, um, you know, it, it, it's shameful what they have done. Um, and, you know, I always love that quote of Mark Twain, for those that don't read the news are uninformed, those that read the, the newspaper are misinformed. Yeah. <laughs> and that was from the 1800s, so it hadn't changed a whole lot.
1: <laughs> well, I've got some buddies, to my respect, who are in the news business, and they always uh, ask a person who has some sort of uh, vociferous opinion about something that's completely off base, they'll say quite calmly, did you get that from the news? Then it's wrong. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, you know, or Wikipedia. I mean, that now that's a good reference source there now.
1: You know, while we're talking about school, I thought I'd show this out there to you, uh, this uh, equity, uh, diversity, and inclusion. There is a school, Ted, um, that uh, Equity High School, okay, it's called Equity High school, and of course there's really? some um, yes, and here's the deal: it offers no honors classes, and uh, you have to take classes taught at a level that doesn't challenge the uh, the brighter ones or develop their talents, and uh, the school never gives out F grades. Um, a Minnesota middle school did away with F grades in 2021. And the reason they did this was to confront, can you imagine this, say after me, systemic racism. And so there are several districts that are prohibiting teachers from giving grades. <laughs> okay? Oh, my golly. <laughs> this is sweeping the nation. Oh, my golly. And um, Equity High School.
0: And we're paying for that through our tax dollars.
1: Yes. And has affinity groups. They're sponsored by taxpayer dollars. Uh what they do is they'll legally block attendees of some races and sexes. And uh, really? they, uh yeah. And because they're not um, isn't that
0: racist and sexist? Well, yeah,
1: yeah. Not in their not in their value system. So not now, as long as they're
0: doing
1: it. Now, equity high has no victorian, so you couldn't have you couldn't have gone there, Ted.
0: <laughs> yeah, right.
1: Uh, and uh <laughs> There's a bunch of schools like this around the country. There's Montgomery County Public School uh, uh, in in Maryland. There's a Cherry Creek School District in Colorado. Uh, I'm just going through uh, some of these here. Um, (laughs) Pennsylvania School District is using this approach on their math curriculum. That must Uh, have been where
0: Federman went to school.
1: (laughs) Oh, my golly. He had to check out for a while, and he's still involved with government. So um, anyway, learning is uh, McConnell
0: and Feinstein.
1: (laughs) So no one can fail a class at Equity High, and um, so you can't figure out which students need extra help. Isn't that something?
0: (laughs) Yeah, I want that guy to be my heart (laughs) surgeon that graduates from there.
1: But this is all the the, the rage now in uh, in those who want to 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 corrupt education by saying it's corrupted by systemic racism. And this is unfortunate because if I were in Japan watching American, I would really focus on its lousy education system. Um, And it's getting worse, much worse. And I've got a secret kind of notion that I've used before on the show. You know, Ted, this is going to be contrary to the popular narrative. But I think the worst thing we ever did to the public school system was busing. And the reason I think I've heard that before is it broke up the community school. Yeah. And if you have community schools, people who go there live there. Uh And so what you should have been focusing on rather than busting up the school was enhancing the diversity of the homeownership in the neighborhood. Right. And then those kids all would have gone to that community school. If you really wanted to have uh, an equity kind of thing, where you had a balanced uh, reflection of what you had in the community, but there's no community now. We've got a situation now, Ted, in a school here in this public system. I'm going to mention it. We're we're busting these kids all the way across town. Now, what already has happened to this school? I'll probably have a show on this sometime. It's being trashed. It's being kind of. Uh, disrespected. And one of the things is the parents can't make it to PTA meetings because they live too far away. If you had a community school, they'd walk to the meeting, you know?
0: As they should. Yeah. We have done a disservice to this nation. And, you know, again, this goes back to Jimmy Carter starting the Department of Education and Ronald Reagan for failing to get rid of it under the Democratic Secretary of Education, Bill Bennett. And uh, they thought they could fix it. And, you know, it, 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 it's crazy how these agencies get out of control and they don't do the things that they were set up to do. And uh, all this stuff has to be changed. And we don't have a lot of time. I mean, you see where we are. We're falling down in those scores on those critical things, reading science and all that stuff. And the rest of the world's not waiting on us. They are passing by us. Interesting. Taiwan and South Korea, they would ship their students over here, the grad students, become engineers because we had the best schools. Now, they're not shipping as many over here because their schools are comparable, if not superior, in ours in graduating engineers and computer programmers and things like that. And so, do you see the curve and the American exceptionalism and that curve we had, that that little bit extra that we could provide, We're losing that, and in some instances, we've lost that. And once you lose something like that with the education system we have today, it's hard to change that around and go back and correct it. But it can be done. It just takes the willpower of people saying enough of this nonsense is is enough.
1: Got a question coming in. It's interesting. I hadn't thought about it, but we are both agrarian people in a lot of ways. How about farmland in Tokyo? How is that? Um, is that there? Is how's that work? Is it?
0: It is a high commodity and it is efficiently utilized. It's amazing. Tokyo, I think um, uh, Japan has about 165 million people. I think it might
1: be 125, 165, but Tokyo
0: itself has 30 million people. 30 million. It's one of the largest cities in the world. But as we are flying into the airport, you see condominiums, high rise condominiums and business office buildings everywhere. But then every now and then there would be a rice paddy in between. And these are almost sacred grounds that they farm and they utilize right in the heart of the city. And they utilize their land like that everywhere, very efficient in what they do. And um, you know, they provide a, a good portion of their food for themselves. You know, through agriculture, they're very industrious, of, uh, you know, smart farmers. Of course, a lot of their tractors are, you know, remotely controlled or GPS controlled. And um, they just practice the best farming practices. Uh, it's, it's very it's very interesting to look at how they do things here.
1: We've been talking to Ted Yoho. We're almost out of time here. And we really appreciate you all sure. checking in on Wednesdays to see Ted, no matter where he is in the world. And he's been with us from Vietnam. He's now with us from Tokyo. And um, you can set your clock by him because he will be there on Wednesdays at 9. I uh, uh, very much appreciate uh, 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 talking with him and sharing our conversation with you, the listeners, uh, all over the place, uh, both uh, visual and audio. And I recommend that you take this link and spread it around because these conversations are not available really in this depth anywhere else, I'm sure, in your life. So we're proud. You got of, a corner
0: on the market.
1: Yeah, we're proud of our sponsors. We're proud of the people who contribute to us and sure. help us uh, keep things going. And, um, you know, I'm proud of giving the shout out to Mr. Funkhauser. You yeah. know, if you need tires, um, Ted and I know you just go right up there to the corner of 241 and 441 in Olachua and That's look right. Funkhauser, and you will have anything you need there from a very polite gentleman who. Great a great great, great person, so Ted, thanks so much, Are you be back in the country next week, or how are you thinking about your life ahead of him?
0: No, I'll be back. I think I go to I may go to Mongolia uh, the second week of May, and then I, if, I, if I don't come back, I'll be going from Mongolia to South Korea, and I'll be over there you know doing the same thing in South Korea
1: So you may go to South Korea from Tokyo.
0: No, I'll come home for a couple of weeks,
1: and then you'll go to Then you go to South Korea.
0: Well, I think I go to Mongolia first, for wow, four or five days, and then from Mongolia to South Korea.
1: Wow. Well, they got internet <laughs> there too, life. sir. They got internet there too. All you got to do is watch they that, sure consult could. that big international clock, right? That's right. <laughs> all right. Well, thank you all, and thank you, Ted, yeah. and have a great. Day. Thanks and for night. the
0: opportunity.
1: And have a great night. I guess you're going night night now, right?
0: I I believe I might. I believe that's the best thing to
1: do. Okay. All right. Y'all take care. Thank you, sir. See you soon. Warthog Command Center out.